Jesus, your glorious God, your glorious, your wonderful, your kind, your merciful King. Hallelujah, Lord. You are worthy of all praise and all glory. We bless your name today, God. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 20. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Just thank him for his presence in this place. The book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopatar of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the, Thessal of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited on us at Tros. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days join, and in five days joined them at Trous, where we stayed seven days. And verse seven says, "Now on the on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Y'all ready to stay here till midnight? Till midnight. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upper room." where they gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That's why we don't go to the third stories, amen, and preach till midnight. That combination doesn't work well, especially when there are windows. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth, God, that sets us free. And Spirit of God, today we just surrender our hearts to you, God, and we ask you to speak to us, Lord God, to give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church. And God, I pray that you glorify yourself in our time together, Lord God. I pray that we would not be only do hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word, God, that we would live out the truths that we'll talk about today, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for the privilege that it is to share with your people. May I decrease May you increase, may they be edified and you glorified. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing on in the book of Acts. We have about eight chapters left. Well, we have, including this chapter, we have nine chapters left. And as we continue in our study of the book of Acts, we must keep in mind, and I want to reiterate this every week, every opportunity that I have, that while the book of Acts is a historic book, it is also a guide for the church to live by. Say amen, somebody. 
It's not just something that you just figure out this is what happened, but this is God communicating to us, this is what I want to do. And so what we should be doing is as we read the pages of the book of Acts, as we look at what the scriptures communicate, we should be desiring more of God to in, in our days presently manifesting and doing great and awesome things. What we see in the book of Acts as the church being committed to God, we see that we see them very passionate. We see the power of God manifesting and we see them pursuing God in his mission and what we should be doing is pursuing that amen Paul is now, you're going to see here, this is the last transitional piece in the book of Acts. He's transitioning and he's going back to Rome. He has this desire to be in Jerusalem and then he's going to end up getting arrested and we'll see that together. And then he's going to end up in Rome. He's going to be in prison for a while. He's going to be released and then he's going to get re-arrested and then he will die a martyr's death. You won't see that last part of him dying in the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends with him when he is, when he is released from the Roman prison. And while Paul knows, and this is what is so impressive about this chapter as we go through it is that while Paul knows by the Spirit of God that suffering and chains await him, he shows his passion for gospel preservation. Say this with me. No matter what we face in our lives, our objective should be to guard the gospel. No matter what we face in our lives, our objective, our desire should be to guard the gospel. And that is the title of our message this morning, Guarding the Gospel. What we see the Apostle Paul here, you're going to to see he's going to to say to 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 the elders in Ephesus in a moment, he's going to communicate to them that he knows by the Spirit of God that he is going to go through change, he's going to go through suffering, and that does not deter him from moving forward in the mission that God has called him on, but on the contrary, he seems to be more motivated to get there and to move forward as we see this. The first thing, my first point, you can, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, say, guarding the gospel is impossible without development and demonstration. Guarding the gospel is impossible without development or demonstration. And when I talk about guarding the gospel, it is protecting the testimony of the gospel. Making sure that our lives, if there is ever a time that we need to guard the gospel, it is in our days. Amen? There, 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 listen, there, there are plenty of bad reports out there, you know, and, and, what, and what you and I have to realize is that the enemy is going to do everything he can to give God and the gospel a bad report. Every single Christian that ever does anything wrong that, you know, has any type of position anywhere, they're going to make sure they blast that out there. Hello? That is going to happen. So what does that mean for us as Christians that, you know, they, they, don't, they don't know about you when you helped, you know, so-and-so across the road. They don't know about you when you gave somebody an offering. They don't know about you when you did something according to what the scripture said and you demonstrated love. They don't see that. They're not going to blast that on the news. Amen? They're going to be far and in between, and you're going to see testimonies of the great things that people of God do all the time. And I want to encourage you for a moment because I want you to realize that while the bad publicity may be out there, the church is glorious. Amen? Not because we are great, but because God is great. Not because we are wonderful, but it's because God is wonderful. And what makes us glorious is Him. Hallelujah. It is him. He makes us glorious because as we walk in our identity, we sang that song this morning, I know who I am. And as we walk in our identity in Jesus, what begins to happen is his glory begins to manifest through our lives. And so what we have to do is we need to be the good news. Say, I need to be the good news. Say that with a little bit more enthusiasm, right? Like, like oh, man, I need to be the good news. Hey, man, I'm going to bed. Hold up, hold on. I say, I need to be the good news. 
I need to make sure that I am a billboard for Jesus, that I'm a billboard for his goodness, that I'm a billboard for his holiness, that I'm a billboard for his love, that I'm a billboard for his greatness, that everything that I do has a mindset in it that I need to guard the gospel. I need to love my wife like Christ loves the church because I'm doing what? Guarding the gospel. I need to raise my children the way the Bible says because I'm guarding the gospel. That's what the scriptures teach us. You can bring this mic down a little bit. I feel like I'm really, really loud today. Glory to God. I'm excited. I haven't preached in like three weeks, so I'm definitely motivated. Amen? Thank you. And so what, what happens is we have to guard the gospel. We have to be those people that guard this. And you cannot guard the gospel just being all by yourself. That's not guarding it because what happens is you're just going to do your own little thing. But part of guarding the gospel is us making disciples. Say, make disciples. We have to be those people that are making disciples. We see that Paul is traveling. What, what, we, we see all of these names, these, these crazy names here, right? I mean, and, and you know, if, if, if any of these are your names, you know, not all of them are crazy. Like, like, if your name is Timothy, okay, I mean, that's not a crazy name. But, you know, like Tychicus, Trophimus, I mean, I, I don't know. I, that, that name didn't come to mind with Josiah, amen? I'm just saying. I wasn't like, you know, babe, should we name him, you know, Trophimus? You think we should do that? I, or, you know, or Sopatar. I mean, I'm just saying. But anyway, the, I'm sure those names are great and, you know, have meaning or whatever. And, again, if you know someone or, you know, if you named your child one of those names, I do apologize. I didn't mean to offend you. Maybe that's your middle name, and I don't know. But, and so... Ultimately, what, it, what, what, what happens here is, you know, you see all of these guys that are named there. There's a reason why their names are in there. The Holy Spirit is showing us something. And it isn't that, you know, we need to learn to pronounce these names. That's not the big deal. The big deal is this, is that Paul, everywhere that he went, he brought people with him. Every city that he went to, he said, you know what, you're, you, know, you know, Trophimus, come on, man, you're coming with me. You know, Sopatar, come over here. You may have a funny name, but you're coming with me, man. He's saying, Timothy, come on, you're going to balance things out, glory to God. And so he's, everywhere that he goes, he's bringing these men with him. And what is part of the reason? Part of the reason is because that is how you make disciples. That is how you guard the gospel. It is by making disciples. It is by winning people to Jesus and helping them grow in Christ. It is a two-fold process. That's how we guard the gospel because we're pouring our lives of what God has given us into others who need it. And so everybody say this. Say everybody, everybody. no matter your age, no matter your age. Should, be should be making disciples. Hello? So that means for the young people, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, guess what? You should be making disciples. See, y'all, y'all should have got more enthusiastic about that. For those of you in ninth grade, 10th grade, you should be making disciples. Everybody in this place, the ones that are retired in here, you should be making disciples. Listen, and making disciples is a two-fold process. I want you to get this. It is not just one-sided. It is not just a part of coming to church. It is about talking to other people about Jesus and inviting them to know him as Savior. That's part of it. And so everybody in this room is responsible for making disciples. That's part of the development. And what Paul does is he shows us he's got at least eight guys walking with him. And right now you saw a name, and there were seven names if you counted them that are there. But the writer of the book is Luke, and he's another one that is going with Paul. He's another eyewitness seeing what God is doing. And so it is important for us that he, that, that, we look at his, that, his, that we look at his example and realize that he was developing others in the faith and that we realize this. I want you to hear this. It is equally important to reach other people as it is to develop them and vice versa. 
It is equally important to develop people as it is to reach them. Because you have one group of people, they're all about developing, developing, developing. They're not about reaching. Then you have another group of people, they're all about reaching, 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 not about developing. Discipleship is holistic. It's about reaching and raising, reaching and raising. That's what we do. Amen? Amen. And so we should be those people that are committed to that. What we see here in verses 1 through 12, when they get together and you see this story where Eutychus falls out of the window, you find a couple of key things here, and you can just write these down because I want to spend more time in the latter part of the chapter. But if we want to see development and we want to see the demonstration of the power of God, one of the things that has to happen is we have to meet together regularly. Amen? So when do they meet together? They meet together, say it, on the Lord's Day. That's what the Bible said. This is a clear picture of when they are getting together. This is the reason. The reason why they call this the Lord's Day. This is the reason why the Protestant church worships on Sunday rather than Saturday. It is because it is called the Lord's Day. What is the Lord's Day? It is not another Sabbath. That is not it. The Lord's Day is the day that Jesus resurrected. That's why they call it that. that. That's why it is saying this here. Because the church gathered together on Sundays to do what? To worship God and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they were doing. So they're getting together to celebrate. So we need to get together regularly. And listen, I pray that everyone, you know, and, 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 and the, the fact is, in scriptural days, people respected like, you know, days off. Amen? I'm just saying, a lot of you in here, you have like rotating schedules and stuff like that, and so you got to work one weekend off, one, and so I understand all of that. But here is the thing. What we need to do is we need to make the effort as consistently as possible to gather together. Amen? So the first thing they do is they gather together on the Lord's Day. The second thing that happens is we see that who's together? The, the people of God, the Lord's people. So on the Lord's Day, the Lord's people are gathering together. The people of God are coming together. And what are they doing? The Scripture shows us what they're doing. When they get together on the Lord's Day to break bread. So what are they doing? They're eating the Lord's Supper. So they get together on the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's people to eat the Lord's Supper. And what else are they going to do? They're going to hear Paul preach, which is what? The Lord's message. So they get together on the Lord's Day, the Lord's people, to eat the Lord's Supper, to hear the Lord's message. And guess what is the result of all of this? Someone falls asleep. That's what, that happens in church right now. If we had, if we had windows, some of y'all be falling out, glory to God. Maybe we should go to a third floor, buy some windows so we can see the power of God, amen? We'll really test God, like be like, does God really love him? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Does God really love her or falling asleep up in church? But here's the thing. It isn't that, that, that he fell asleep. We see a demonstration of the power of God. Amen? Amen? On the Lord's Day, they get together. They eat the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's people. They hear the Lord's message. Even though this guy falls asleep, you know, I mean, he just kinda, it kind of shows us that God is merciful. Amen? Amen? Gives us a great picture. But see, I want you to look a little bit deeper at what happens in Eutychus' life. When you look at Eutychus, in Eutychus, his name means fortunate. Say fortunate. It means that he's fortunate, and, and you know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily, you know, it means he was lucky, right? So there, there was something. He got some stuff that he didn't deserve. This was one of them, amen? You would think he's just, he's dead, but he gives us such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because what happens is the Bible says he falls asleep, and he doesn't just fall asleep, but he falls out the window, so he is fallen. What does the Bible say about us? It says that we are all fallen in Adam. Every one of us is fallen in Adam. Every one of us is a sinner by nature because of what Adam did. Because Adam ate of the fruit, we are sinners by nature. So we are all fallen in Adam. The Bible says not only did he fall, but it says that he was dead. What does the Bible say about us? It says that we are dead in our trespasses. 
This is what the scripture says. We are dead in our trespasses, meaning that because of our sin, we are dead spiritually, meaning that we are separated from the life of God. If we have not put our faith in Jesus, then guess what? We are separated from the life of God now, and if we die without putting our faith in Jesus, we will be separated from the life of God for all of eternity. And what that means is that you will suffer the penalty of sin, which is eternity in hell, separated from God. But here's the beauty of this, because the picture doesn't stop with him falling and dying, but it continues on with Paul going out there, falling upon him, and him being resurrected. Why did he get resurrected? Did he deserve it? No. What did he do to deserve resurrection? Nothing. Was he great? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, he fell asleep when he should have been paying attention. Are y'all hearing me? This is, a, this is a great picture of the gospel for us. Because God offers us eternal life. He offers to wake us up from our dead sleep. Hello. If we will put our faith in him. He offers us that. And Eutychus gives us a great picture of this. Amen. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me. Say, guarding the gospel requires qualified and intentional leadership. Guarding the gospel requires qualified and intentional leadership. Now we're going to skip down over. We're going to skip down to verse 17 here, and um, we'll skip past 13, 13 through 16. This is just giving us some details about Paul's travelings. And so in verse 17, it says this, and and actually, in in verse 13 to 16, it shows you how anxious Paul is. He didn't want to go through Ephesus. He didn't want to stop there because he had to get to Jerusalem, and he wanted to be there before a certain time. And so he does want to talk to the people in Ephesus. He didn't want to stop because of the heart that he had. He would have ended up having to stay there and talk to people and minister to people. And he was like, you know what? I have to be somewhere. I have a mission that I'm on with God, and so I'm going to stop in Miletus, which is where we catch him in verse 17. And so we'll look there. It says, from Miletus, he sent to, to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Guarding the gospel requires qualified and intentional leadership. And so we read a lot of verses. We'll break it down piece by piece. Paul called the elders of Ephesus to exhort them. The first thing that I'll say here, because it doesn't tell us anything else, but I'm going to assume this and I will inject this. It it doesn't say this here, but I'll give you the reason why. But we can assume that since Paul laid out the standards for qualified elders, that these men were fit to be elders. So when we look at these men here, we would, we would assume Paul is the one who established them as elders when he was in Ephesus for those three years. And while he was there, he saw men who rose up, who were notable among the rest. And he said, these would be people that fit the standards that I'm going to give later on to Timothy and to Titus about the people who will be elders, which are the senior leaders in the church. And so these are men by Paul's standard that he set forth in the scripture that would be qualified elders. And then what he does is he spends some time with them and he's going to give them this three-part exhortation. The first thing is they're qualified. The second thing is they're intentional, and he's going to give them what their intention should be. And so Paul called the elders, and he brings them there, and he he, he gives this three-part exhortation. The first part, he talks about his past ministry in verses 17 to verse 21. The second thing he talks about is his present burden in verses 22 to 24. And And the third thing that he talks about is he speaks about a future warning in verses 25 to 35. And so the first thing that we see in verses 17 to 21, when he gives, he's talking about all of these things that he's done. Let's look at it. He says this. He said, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church and when they had come to him he said to them you know from the first day I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you so what does he do he says you know from the first day I was here he's talking about my past my time that I was with you he goes on to say in verse 19 serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews so he talks about his character the things that he went through how he kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he, is, he bring, is he comes and he brings forth what the gospel message is that he had been preaching for the three years that he was among them. He communicates what is, what is to be one of the most important things that you and I have to understand. And it is this. He said that he told them about repentance, towards, uh, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Because when we talk about us putting our faith in Jesus, when we talk about us giving our life to him, you cannot have faith toward Jesus without turning from your sin. Are you hearing me? You can say you believe in Jesus all you want. And listen, I I want you to hear this with your heart. You can say you believe in him all you want. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe what the Bible says about him. But if you are practicing sin and you are living in sin and you have not turned from your sin, you really, really don't believe in Jesus. Let me me, me put it to you like this. When When you were a child, I don't know, 
I know I'm going to talk about me when I was a child. Because I don't know about you. But there was a, a type of fear that I had of my mother. Because my mom was quick with it. And she would lay hands on you, and it wasn't to pray for you. Amen. She wasn't a Christian, glory to God. She, she was definitely not praying for me. Hello. She was, though, trying to beat the hell out of me. Hello, somebody. She, didn't, she may not have known that scripture, but she was definitely doing her job. Now, here's the thing. Because I knew the consequences of wrong behavior, when I got older, I got a little bit, you know, in Spanish they say atrevido, you know what I'm saying, like daring. I, I, when I got a little older, I was like, well, I'm a little bit bigger now. Let me tell you a story about a little bit bigger now, glory to God. I'm, I'm going to just tell you this right quick. I, I should have I I just stood quiet and just done what I was supposed to do. My mom was across the house. I was sitting over here. I started flipping off at the mouth because I figured I'm quicker than her. She's far away from me. I'm going to be all right. Let me just tell you something. She had a Cool Whip bottle next to her. From the other side of the house, she threw the Cool Whip bottle. I ducked. I was like, oh, you can't get me because I'm too quick. I ducked. It hit the wall. When I stood up, she was right there in front of my face. I'm going to let the story stop right there. Here's the point. The point is, up until that time, I was assured, and I was reassured then, amen? Up until that time, I knew, boy, you act up, you're going to get a beat down. I knew those two things went together. Therefore, I had faith in the beat down I would get, and I was repentant toward the behavior I wanted to act in. Because I believe now, when my, when, when my mother was present, I was like that. One day I was with my little brother in the house, and one of the things my mom did not tolerate was me picking on my little brothers. For those of you older brothers, sometimes your little brothers, they get on your nerves. Hello. Sometimes, just sometimes. And my little brother and I were wrestling because I used to love wrestling. I don't know why. I just loved it. I, and, I, and so I kicked my brother in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as it happened... He ran to the bathroom, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I am going to get a beat down. I was like, Nathan, Nathan, open the door, please, bro, please. He wouldn't open the door. I'm like, come on, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was begging him, open the door, man, because I knew what was going to happen in a little bit. I didn't know when my mom was getting home, but I was like, I need to make peace with my brother before she gets here so she won't show him what I have done to him. Glory to God. I got to beat down for that one, too, but. Here's the point. The point is, when my mother was present, I knew what would happen. I didn't act a fool. Jesus is always present. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. That should not just encourage you to, like, continue on in the faith. That should encourage you to live right. Because he never leaves you. Where, where do you leave Jesus when you go sin? I'm just saying. What do you be like? Yo, Jesus, I'm going to go and take care of some business. You stay right here. When I'm done with my business, I'm going to come talk to you. Is that what you do? Even if you did, it's not like he's listening to you. Hello. But the point is, if you have faith in God, you have faith in the God of the Bible, not in the God you create. And what you realize is that you cannot be a hypocrite. Hello. You cannot live how you want to live and act like everything is all right because it is not all right. 
It is not okay to live how you want to live. You live according to his standards. And so Paul is communicating for the last three years. He's been preaching to these people. He's been sincerely communicating the scriptures. And I love what he says in the middle of this. He says that he was, it shows that he was in humility, right? It shows that he was passionate, and it shows that he was committed. So he was there in tears preaching to them for those three years. He was there in tears crying out, letting them know about the truths that are in the scriptures. He was letting them know that. And here's the thing. While no one is perfect, everyone that is a Christian, say this with me, everyone that is a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, your life should be marked by humility. Your life should be marked by a passion for the gospel. Your life should be marked by a commitment that even when it gets difficult, that you are not giving up on guarding the gospel, on communicating the gospel, on being a witness no matter what. That's what all of our lives should be marked by, and especially those who would call them leaders within the church. All believers are called to be light. The second thing that he goes on to talk about is he talks about his present burden. Look at verse 22 with me. He says, and see now, that changes it. He went from explaining to them who he was, who he had been, the testimony that he had given, to then go to verse 22. And he says, and now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. I love this verse. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Listen to me. You and I will not finish the race that is set before us if we are overly concerned about the life we're living now. trying to remember what I said. (laughs) You and I will not finish the race that is set before us if we are overly concerned by the life that we're living now. We won't. We will either be overly concerned with this life, this world, my comfort, my commodity, my blessing, my prosperity, my success, my, 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 or I will be concerned with the race that He set before me. Faith in Jesus, right? Repentance towards God. We we won't won't do both. Paul is a prime example of this. He was told hardship. I want you to think about that for a second. Let's say, you know, you come up to the altar now, right? Come up up after I'm done preaching. Like, yes, Jesus, I want to serve you wholeheartedly, right? Someone comes and prays for you and says, when you leave this place, if you follow Jesus, it's going to be really hard. You're going to lose your job. You may lose your house. You may lose your health. It's going to be rough. How many of you be doing backflips out of this place? Like, yes, I'm looking forward to that. Most of us would not. That's why he doesn't tell us stuff like that. He just lets it happen to us. <laughs> I'm just saying. He knows. You know, a lot of times, you know, we, we go through things in our life, and it's like, we didn't see that coming. If you would have seen it coming, you would have tried to duck it and dodge it and went around it and all that stuff. And God is like, I need you to go through it. 
Your character won't be developed unless you go through some fire. That's just the way that it is. I mean, that's just real life. I mean, you can go to the gym all you want. If you never feel the pain, you ain't going to get no gain. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, you may gain in the wrong way, but not the way you want to gain. You're not going to look like homie over there. You're going to be looking like, anyway, I'm just saying. The truth is, we listen, so Paul, he gets this warning in the Spirit. The Spirit of God is testifying and letting him know that he is going to go through all of these different kinds of hardship, all of these different things. And in verse 25 he says, And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So he tells them he's gonna, he, he has this burden. And here's the reality. Too many of us are moved by our life circumstances. We count our lives more dear than the mission of God. While we should be driven with a passion to finish our race, testifying to the gospel, to hear one thing, well done, good and faithful servant. See, when, when, when we live this life here in this earth, we need to live with eternity in mind. Okay, we, you know, when, when we work, you know, we want to get accolades. We, you know, we have reviews. We want to get good reviews. Amen. Good reviews in most places mean a raise. Hallelujah. We all want raises. Glory to God. I'm just saying, I want to raise. I'm just, I, can, can, can we get, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm good. I'm all right. What I'm saying is, all of us want that. We want someone as we're growing up. I mean, come on, we want to hear our parents tell us, good job. That's just natural. As we, none of us don't want to hear that. You know, we may not, some people are more moved by that than others, but here's the reality. We all like to get the little accolade, the pat on the back, and that's fine. But here's the real deal. The real deal is you're going to stand before God, and the greatest accolade of all is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the thing. There's no, well, you almost did. When I look at my Bible, there are two people that are standing there. There is the one that hears, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there is the other one that hears, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Two people that stand there. There's no in-between person like, yeah, you were all right. No. There was the one that put their faith in Jesus, turned from their sin. And that is the one that will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because while I will not be perfect, and I want you to hear me, I'm not saying that we will ever be perfect because that is not it. We will all continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why God's grace is so amazing. But here is the truth. The truth is that God's grace doesn't just give us a ticket to be right with God, but it gives us the power to live right before him. <clears throat> Paul's future warning, verse 25 to 35, let's read that. He says, and indeed now I know that you all among whom <clears throat> I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not to cease, cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. 
Last verse. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's future warning <clears throat> was because he wouldn't be returning. This was the last time that he was going to be with these people. It was the last time that he would see them face to face. And he knew that. And he wanted to give them the last message that he could give them, the last instruction so that way they could be intentional. And now here's the thing. He is specifically speaking to elders here. But here's what I want you to understand. Just because they were elders does not mean that it is not a warning for all of the church. It does not mean that you should not take heed to the warnings that Paul is giving here. Because what he does is he lets them know there are some things that are going to happen. And he starts off by saying, take heed to yourselves. The first thing that we need to be concerned about is not the person to the right or the person to the left, but the person sitting in your seat. The first one we must take heed to is the one that is, that, that, that is I. It is me. I must take heed to myself. And so how do we guard the gospel? He gives us like five things that he says here. These are the warnings that he gives to the Ephesian elders, and these are the same warnings that I give to you. The first one is, he said, you must guard against being careless. First thing he says, take heed to yourselves. Remember this, because the first thing that happens to us is that we get comfortable, we get careless. We get comfortable. Listen, I've seen it over and over again. People come to Jesus, they need his help, no, nothing wrong with that at all. But here's the issue. Once he helps them, what do they do? They forget about him. Or even worse, when he doesn't help them the way they wanted to be helped, hello. And they really don't want anything to do with him because he failed them. So here's the reality. The first thing that we must be wor that, that we must guard against and guarding the gospel in our lives is that is shown in verse 31. Look at verse 31. It says, therefore, watch and remember. Watch and remember. It's saying, listen, be vigilant. He says that he, he communicated to them day and night, which is talking about vigilance. It wasn't like once in a while. It was every day, all the time, consistently. He wasn't careless with his life. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you careless? Are you careless with your time? Are you careless with your, the, the, the time you spend with Jesus? Are you careless with who you allow to influence you? Are you careless with those things? Because if you're careless, then what you are not doing is you're not guarding the gospel the way that you ought to be. Because we're not supposed to be careless. The second thing in verse 32, he says, and look at verse 32. He says, now, brethren, I commend you to God, which is symbolizing relationship and prayer, and to the word of God, which is obviously talking about being in the scriptures, which are able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the first warning is don't be careless. The second warning is don't be shallow. Don't be a shallow Christian. Don't be one of those people that professes Jesus but never talks to him. Hello. Don't be one of those people that talks about you love Jesus, but you're never in his word. Don't be one of those people whose life is not being built up, whose life has no real hope in the inheritance that God has. The third thing is being covetous. Look at verse 33. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Now, how are these warnings? He's talking about things that he hasn't done. But remember, he's giving the elders, he's saying to them, take heed to yourselves. Look at my example. This is what I've done. He says, I haven't coveted. Now, notice this. When you look at the Ten Commandments, those of you that know them in order, you would know the last commandment is thou shalt not covet. Now, you know something? If you covet, you will break all the other commands. You covet material things, you're going to end up worshiping other gods. 
You start coveting, well, you know what? You'll end up in adultery. Hello. You start coveting, you'll end up stealing some way, shape, or form. You start coveting, you will start breaking the Sabbath. Hello. You won't have a time of rest because you don't have time to rest because you got to get it, get it, get it. Hello. Because you don't trust God to be the provider in your life. I'm just saying. When you covet, those are things. And so Paul says, listen, don't be a shallow person. Don't be a covetous person. Don't be a person who is careless. And he goes on the next one in verse 34. He says this. He says, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. The fourth thing he says is don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. He wasn't rebuking, um, you know, people getting paid with the gospel. I mean, I'll give you reference to that. If you look at your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you don't have to turn there right now. You can look at it on your own time. For, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, the apostle Paul is making an argument to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, are we the only ones that don't have a right to get paid for what we do? Is it just Barnabas and Peter and these people that are able to get paid and able to have wives? He's saying, no. Paul is not opposed to that. What he is saying is, while I was with you, I was not lazy. Listen, I just want you to know that for us as Christians, it is never okay for us to be lazy. We're supposed to have our hand to the plow. I want you to think about the, about, about the visual effect that that should have on you, hand to the plow. You understand what that means? Okay, think about plowing a field. See, some of y'all, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know nothing about this. Hello. Most of us have never done this, but some of y'all, you, you've, never, you've never even seen like Little House on the Prairie. Hello. So you got to watch Little House on the Prairie so you can understand what a plow and what that really looks like. All right? I'm, I'm just saying, it, it gives you a good visual, right? You see, you, you, you see this man out there? He's got this, this, this plow on there, and he is behind these animals. You know these animals? He's behind them. I just said behind them. Hello. You know what comes out of the You ever just walked around, seen some horses? They just drop it like it's hot, and it is. I'm just saying. That's what they do. So he's behind these animals. What, and what is he doing? He's walking behind them on this plow. So he is sweaty, right? He is working hard. He is working hard for the glory of God. And so you know what that means for us as Christians? Listen, that means that our lives should be about the Father's business like that. That means that in prayer, we should be passionately crying out to God for those who don't know Jesus. We should be passionately praying for your leaders, for your pastors. You should be passionately praying for your church and for your community. You should be passionately, I mean, listen, I read one book by Ian Bounds, and he talked about sweating in prayer. And I used to think I was crazy because I get in a prayer class, and I come out of there drenched in sweat. I'm like, man, there's something wrong with me. And when I read that, I was like, glory to God, there's nothing wrong with me. Not everybody's going to sweat. Not everybody sweats the way that I do. So I'm not saying everybody's got to be pouring sweat in me when you come out of your prayer closet. But are you passionately in there with God? Are you passionate? You know, I love the picture of, of Jacob wrestling with God. Are you there wrestling with God, praying for God to deliver, praying for God to save, praying for God to set free? Or are you just going there and say, God, bless this one, do this, do that. Okay, God, we're done. Listen, I'm glad you talked to God if, you, if that's how you talked to him. But what I'm saying is that's not putting your hands to the plow in prayer. And then are you looking for opportunities when you're out there, you know, for those of you, you know, workplaces and school, are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Are you doing that? Are you looking for opportunities to serve in the community, to serve in your church? That's what it means to put your hands to the plow. It's not okay for us to be lazy. 
There's one thing that I remember about the day that I was at an ordination service was the pastor who was doing the ordinations to all of these pastors. There was like 50 pastors getting ordained. And I remember him saying the one thing that stood out to me in all of it is he said, don't be a lazy pastor. To all of them. He said, don't be a lazy pastor. Don't be waking up at 10 o'clock in the afternoon and thinking that it's all good. Listen, there's a lot of people that are like that. But here's the reality. The reality is, he says, look, don't be like that. Don't be careless. Don't be shallow. Don't be covetous. Don't be lazy. And the last one is, don't be selfish. In verse 35, he says this. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Don't be selfish because it's not all about you. It's not all about your comfort. It's not, about, it's not just about your blessing. You know, I love, the, I love the, the cliche statement, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Some of us just want to be blessed so we can be blessed. Hello. We don't want to be a blessing to anyone. We don't want to help anyone out. We don't want to. And look at, look at what the scriptures are saying. And when you look through the gospels, you're going to find that those exact words are not written out. Jesus, they don't, they don't record those words. But you also know in the book of John, it says that if you try to record every single thing that he said, there wouldn't be room for the volumes of things that Jesus said. So this is something that was passed on from the apostles, and the apostle Paul heard it, and not only did he hear it, but he lived it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 gives us the principle for that. And closing his message to them, Paul goes on and look at verse 36. It says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. And so Paul closes his exhortation in prayer for those he was leaving with the greatest task of all, and that was gospel preservation. He closes time with them. And here's what I want you to do. Think about it for a moment. Are you a person that's careless? Are you a person that is shallow? Are you a person that is covetous? Are you a person that is lazy? Are you a person that is selfish? Are you any of these things? Because if you are, God calls you to repentance today. He doesn't want to beat you up over it. He wants to deliver you from it. He wants to set you free from those things because you and I cannot guard the gospel if those things mark our life more than the gospel does. And it's not to say that we're going to have la- not going to have lazy moments. It's not going to say that we're not going to have selfish moments. I'm not talking about moments. Don't justify yourself and say, well, that's sometimes. No, I want you to think about your heart of hearts. I want you to think about your heart of hearts. Like, am I a shallow person when it comes to Jesus? Am I walking with him as I ought? Am I in relationship with him the way that I should be? Am I a person that is covetous? Am I more desirous for gain for myself than I am for gain for the kingdom? Think about those things. In closing, my question is this. Are you guarding the gospel in your own life and publicly? The first thing he said was take heed to yourself. But then he said he told them to watch over the sheep. That God, had put them, that, that God had put them as shepherds over. And so to answer those questions, I have a few other questions here for you. Is your mind being renewed by the revelation of the gospel through the word of God? The first thing is, is your mind being renewed? Is your way of thinking changing? Or are you just staying the same? Are you becoming more like the world? Or are you becoming more like Jesus? That's the first question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I becoming more like the world in my thinking? Am I starting to think more like the culture I live in, or am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the first question. The second one is, is your heart being revived by a clear understanding of who God is? 
As your mind is being renewed, as you're coming to a deeper understanding of who God is, as you're in the scriptures and you're looking at who God is or looking at the revelation of the gospel, all of a sudden you get this revelation of who God is and your heart becomes revived because you begin to understand who he is. You don't just understand that he's holy, you understand that he's love. But you don't just understand that he's love, you understand that he's holy. Amen? So is your mind being renewed? Is your heart being revived? And the last one is, is your spirit being refreshed by the continual manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Are you being refreshed by your relationship with God? And listen, if you say no to any of those things, I want to say it one more time. God calls you to repentance. The question is, will you respond and say, you know what, God? I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And I realize that your grace is sufficient and I want to be set free and I want to walk in intimacy with you the way that you call me. That's the question and that's what I leave you with. Stand to your feet, please. I want to open up the altar today and I want to invite you, if you desire, to come forward and we'll pray with you and pray for you. You know if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. And so I invite you to respond to him. As the worship team comes forward, we're going we're gonna to enter into a song. You heard this song last week. Shaggy's daughter began to sing it. But this song is entitled, You Won't Relent. It's talking about our God's relentless pursuit of us. And I'm going to pray for you, and then after I pray for you, or as I'm praying, you can feel free to come to the altar, and we'll sing this song for a little while in worship. And then as we worship, you're invited to come forward. God, we come to you in the name before your presence today, Lord God. And Lord, we just ask you, Spirit of God, that you would fill our hearts with a greater awe of you, Lord. That you would fill our hearts with a greater awe of who you are, dear Lord. God, that you would fill our hearts, Lord God, with a greater hunger, with a greater thirst, with a greater desire to know you, God.